Welcome to Corona Stories, the place where people can be open and honest about their feelings and experiences of COVID, lockdown and related matters. I'm Christine Padgham and I co-host this podcast with my friend Sylvia. This podcast is not for profit, it will never be for profit and we are interested in hearing people's real views. We never censor and we are interested in all perspectives. Thank you for listening. I think that's always been my modus. I suppose like we're all, I would imagine you as well, Christine, you know, uh, you've always operated uh, on the basis that you made your own mind up based on on the evidence that was presented to you. You know, you may not have even have analyzed the evidence to much to much of a degree, but I think what has happened over the last 20 months is that we have reached our own conclusions and by reaching conclusions on the same basis that we have always reached conclusions, many of us have been ostracized or deplatformed. It's uh, yeah, it's a very, I- very strange world. And I think, as you say, you don't necessarily need to research, but just your experience tells you that the mainstream narrative just isn't right. Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, and that's the, that's the way I think life works, isn't it? You know, you walk yeah. past, you, you walk past, a, a, you know, a, a skip and it's obviously got the contents of the skip are a bit dubious and it's very, very smelly. <laughs> and, there, and therefore, you 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 give the skip a, a wide berth because you're not quite sure what might be in it. You know, your natural instinct is to take yourself away from distasteful and smelly things. And there's something very, very distasteful and smelly about this whole COVID debacle. So it's it's an instinctive, visceral response, isn't it? You know, it's not something that really you need to get an awful lot of detailed uh, you know, medical uh, evidence, you know, it, it's, we know there's something very, very fishy about the whole thing. Yeah. Um- that was just a taster of the lively conversation that Sylvia, Jeff and I had today about the horror of vaccine passports. I hope you enjoy the rest of it. So today is the 5th of November. Remember, remember. It is. The 5th of November. And Sylvia and I are speaking to Mr. Jeff Peel. Hello, Jeff. Sylvia and Christine, hello to both of you. And thanks very much indeed for having me. No, I... It, the pleasure is all ours. Thank you so much for coming on. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and we've just um, arranged this at the last minute today after we set up our Telegram channel. So to anybody who hasn't listened to today's announcement, we have a Telegram channel. Go and find us on there. It's just Corona Stories. So, Jeff, you would you like to tell our listeners a bit about yourself? What is your... Well, it's it's funny, you know. I'm not really sure how to describe myself any longer. You know, I um, up until I suppose March last year, I I had quite a, a boring life. Well, it wasn't really boring, you know, from from my, from my point. <laughs> it was, was it lovely and joyful and happy? <laughs> it was quite joyful and happy, and I, I was a, a you know for the last twenty years or so, I've been a, an independent consultant, uh, advising clients and 
making a bit of money uh, from them, and, uh, hopefully providing wonderful advice about their marketing strategies and so on. I've mostly worked in the technology sector, uh, and I was uh, more recently I was an advisor to the government, really on on technology, how to get technology companies to invest in the United Kingdom. Um, and I was merrily uh, pursuing this career and, uh, and, and having some fun in the process. And then, of course, COVID happened and or rather the government's response to COVID. And, and then everything went pear-shaped. And it's, it, it's, it's about... funny, isn't it? It's like March 2020 happened and boom, yep. your life just changed. Yeah. yeah. And everybody's life changed, you know, and I, yeah. I, obviously. And I think we have all gone through kind of cathartic uh, process. You know, so I think one of the I've been watching Squid, uh, squid Games over the last few, few nights. And, uh, you know, you know, I think you know, that that program presents a number of, you know, almost like Shakespearean stereotypes, uh, you know, uh, and we, we, we all kind of conform to type to some extent in the you know, the, the COVID response applied to our individual lives has resulted in strange outcomes. And some people have taken it very badly. Uh, I suppose we've all gone through our own mental health issues to a degree. Um, I think, I, I think the, the best description uh, of my state over the last 20 months has been grief. It's about grief for the loss of my previous life, you know, and, and also concern about the type of life that my children might have as well. So I suppose to, you know, to answer your question as who, who am I? Well, I'm somebody who's very aggrieved by this. Uh, I, don't, I don't take kindly to governments taking my liberty away or my, and my freedom away. And um, I have responded to that in the ways that I can only respond. I'm a, I'm a communicator and a marketer. And therefore, I've, I've put as ma many of my skills and talents, such as they, they are, into responding, hopefully in a positive way to this, but in a way that uh, is seeking the return of my previous life uh, and all our previous lives uh, that have hopefully been about living in a modern pluralist democracy that uh, believes in freedom and democracy. And the thing about that previous life is there was so much of it that I took for granted. Absolutely. And, and you know, I just, I never expected to lose it. It's, it's been a big shock, really, hasn't it? You know, if you said two years ago that we would be in a position where we would be told that we're not allowed on flights unless we get a vaccination, that, you know, we need passports to go to big events you would have said, oh, they, they need mental help. Yeah. Let's call a doctor. You know, it's... Oh, yeah, it's, it's, it's really quite incredible, you know, and it pretty much every day brought new revelations as to the, the depth of, uh, of depravity that our, our so-called government uh, could go to. You know, I, I have found it utterly astonishing, and I, I agree with you absolutely that, you know... Uh, we did take an awful lot of these things for granted. You know, I used to live, my wife and I used to live quite close to Heathrow Airport. Um, 
simply because that gave us the opportunity to go pretty much anywhere in the world we wanted to. We may, cho- may have chosen not to go to those places. We may have merry- merrily pottered around our garden, but knowing that we could was a key reason why we, we lived there. You know, living in a, in a democracy and living in a place where you could travel, uh, you know, and that, that little page in the passport which says, you know, that, uh, her, you know, Her Majesty, what does it say? You know, Her, her Majesty... Yeah. Your business, Her Britannic Majesty's Secretary of State um, requ- requests and requires in the name of Her Majesty all of those whom, whom it may concern to allow the bearer to pass freely without let or hindrance. Yeah, but that doesn't apply anymore. That doesn't yeah, apply. that doesn't apply anymore at all. And it's been revelatory in a bad way that, that the government could behave in this way. And therefore, I think all cons- conspiracy theories are valid. I think we're perfectly entitled because we're objecting to question what on earth is going on and why are they doing this i know i've actually decided i don't like the term conspiracy theory no nobody likes i think we should just say people are theorizing what they thinking might be true or it might not be true but everybody's entitled to theorize and think and question When 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 people say it's a conspiracy theory it's automatically you're off in your on your own little dwam of thought that just isn't plausible. And that's not really true anymore because a lot of people's theories have then become true in this case, which isn't normally the case for conspiracy theories. No. Absolutely. Yeah, I, 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 this morning went down to visit a guy um, uh, in Belfast uh, who runs a, a coffee roastery Um and he, he used to run a chain of coffee shops, but he decided to, to close them down and uh, and just focus on the production of coffee. But he has a small coffee shop on, on the premises. Um, and it's called Root and Branch Coffee in East Belfast. And he, um, he published a, an Instagram video post um, during the week where he said, you know, I, uh, I'm, I'm here, hereby pledging that... Um, I will not ever, regardless of what the government policy is, I am not ever going to debar people from coming into my coffee shop and drinking coffee and having conversation and meeting face to face. You know, so regardless of whether or not they introduce these ridiculous uh, pa- uh, vaccine passports, I am going to remain open. And he faced incredible vitriol. He he had hundreds of comments um, And it it would appear that many of these comments were from people who probably don't really exist, who who were sort of paid trolls. And but it it brought him down. You know, he 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 got down and and was very upset about the whole thing. And because what he did, uh, he he felt was defending liberty and defending freedom and defending people's rights to engage in what was everyday normal activity prior to March, you know, yeah. and say so was a result that resulted him in him facing all of this disgraceful vitriolic yeah. uh, mudslinging. The thing is, I'm immensely sympathetic to that chap because I have experienced reactions like that myself. And I think we all have who've spoken out, but, and I don't mean to sound unkind or unfeeling about it, but if he really does commit to not having vaccine passports in his shop or not paying any attention to them, he's going to have to toughen up to that reaction. Yeah, indeed. It's, yeah, And it's so wrong that 
like morally wrong that I'm having to say that. But I've got to that point now where I'm just like, I don't care how much criticism I get. I don't care what I lose. I don't care how much reputation of my own I destroy. I am not going to shut up about this. Yeah. Like, and I think I, I think I think that it, it does. It, there's no question. It it requires a, a huge amount of um, confidence and, yeah. and almost bravery. You know, like even in the days I know in Scotland you still have the mask mandate. We do still here in Northern Ireland. And Wales obviously have as well. Um, and it 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 requires even a, quite a degree of courage to, you know, walk onto a crowded train or or go into a, a packed supermarket without a mask and say I'm I'm sorry but I'm not going to wear one that it, it's that you know that it's that herd instinct you know that going against the grain you know m- making yourself <laughs> obvious you know drawing attention to yourself it doesn't it doesn't sit comfortably no but, nobody you know. enjoys it this yeah. is the thing like some people have said to me you know oh but you're you don't mind, you know, this conflict or you're, cause, because I am quite a feisty character and I think people think I enjoy conflict. I don't. Mm. I don't like getting on a train and being the only person not wearing a mask, but I won't wear one. So, um, and I, that is actually getting easier. And I think the more people who develop that courage, the less courage is required for people to do it. Absolutely. So but the, I mean, a really ghastly environment, and I could never have imagined that. Do you know our what amazes me is that actually a lot of people don't care whether yeah, you're wearing a mask yeah, or not. That's thing. Yeah, a lot that's of right. People don't care, but they don't care, but they just want an easy life, so they they wear. But they're not making an easy life. They're building their own prison. That's the problem. Yeah, I, I listened to. Uh, uh, an interview recently, um, Dan Aston Gregory interviewed um, uh, a a medical uh, pod, you know medical related podcaster in in uh, North America who runs a, a very popular YouTube channel, which I think he's been deplatformed. He's moved on to Odyssey or one of the other platforms. Oh. But the point he was making, uh, which which I took, I, which resonated very much with me, was that there is. With every every attempt by the government to coerce and mandate, you know, it alienates another little incremental group of society. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, maybe, uh, you know, Aldous Huxley famously did a uh, an interview, uh, I think, back in the nineteen fifties or sixties, after he published Brave New World, where he said that about twenty percent of society typically can be hypnotized, uh, uh, you know, under uh, the 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 weight of government propaganda. Um, and obviously, with the behavioral insights unit and so on being used to um, pour out this propaganda by the current government, um, obviously a percentage of the population will be hypnotized. But I, I do genuinely think that that percentage is shrinking because they're invading so many of our liberties that even people who went along with all this nonsense are probably thinking, you know what, this is a step too far. Yeah. And it, it could be the vaccination of children. I think that's. That's been a major development that has resulted in people really beginning to wonder if these people really have any idea what they're doing. And, um, and that's, I think, pushing pe- people to a place that they just do not want to go to. 
I know. The thing is, you know, I came across a saying once, if your only tool is a hammer, the only problem you'll solve is a nail. And it just seems that no matter what happens, the answer is from the government, vaccinate more, vaccinate another section of society. And the truth is, it's made no difference. Um, yeah, absolutely. And they clearly, they clearly don't work. They not be blind to that anymore. <laughs> Yeah, I'd like to correct that statement. It hasn't made no difference. It's made a difference in the wrong direction. Yeah, every, well, it's not solved the problem. No, that's what I every mean. Every time <laughs> that, that it's even worse than that. But every time they roll out vaccinations to a new group, cases go up, and so it looks like there's more of a problem. And if your only solution is more vaccination, well, you're doing more vaccination and then there's more cases and more cases and more cases. Yeah, because it, uh, the, the, that, that is the absolute nub of the issue, of course. You know, if the, if the vaccines worked, there would no, be no reason to mandate them. You know, if, if people merrily, as they did, go out and get vaccinated and they m miraculously were cured, they were not getting this thing. Um, well, that, you know, it, it, that would have been a slam dunk. Game over. Move on. You know, forget about COVID and get on with your life. But the fact is, they haven't worked. You know, people no. are still getting the thing, whatever the thing is. They're still being tested for the thing and testing positive. Uh, they're just, uh, it, it, it would appear likely, or certainly it's, it's subject to discussion as to whether the Delta variant is, in fact, an adverse reaction to the vaccine. So, uh, you know, at least it's, it's worth asking that as a, a null mm -hmm. hypothesis. Well you know? And on my on the blog informscotland.uk where I um, put up regular updates about the Scottish stats, um, we've now passed the milestone where we've had more COVID patient hospital days in 2021 than we did in 2020. Mm. Yes. And also we've had more deaths, more yeah. COVID deaths in 2021 than 2020. And people, I said this in my YouTube video recently as well, like people can do all sorts of you know, fancy pants analysis on the data and say, oh, but it confers an individual benefit because it makes you less sick or whatever. But at population level, the problem is at least as bad this year as it was last year before vaccination. Yeah. This is very straightforward. It's that you don't need to do any analysis. You just have to look at the bold numbers and it's staring you in the face. The vaccine does not work. Exactly. And I, I don't know if you've had the, the chance to watch the expert panel that um, Senator Johnson uh, pulled together in the US on, yeah. on well, fed I, I federal just... vaccine pass mandates. Uh, but that was a, a fascinating discussion. And obviously he had testimony from people uh, who had suffered extreme adverse uh, reactions to, mm -hmm. to the vaccine. But, you know, that was the point made very, very well by Ron Johnson that you know, and he articulated this well with with data. You know, the the volume of adverse reactions to this singular vaccine is vastly greater than anything we've ever seen before, and the number of deaths associated with this particular vaccine compared to, say, the flu vaccine is off the scale, hundreds yeah. of times greater in terms of both hospital admissions and deaths. So there is something seriously going on. And the fact that the government is not permitting and the and big tech is not permitting on its platforms any discussion about this and labeling any discussion as misinformation is is really the stuff of, 
what will be one of the greatest scandals when it breaks and oh, and, and it is breaking. I, I'm absolutely convinced it's breaking. It it's impossible breaking. to put a lid on individual free thought and free thinking. Um, and and, and I think as well, you know, from my personal experience now, I now know more people that have had an adverse event following vaccination than I do having had like even long COVID or problems from contracting COVID itself. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. you know, again, that's personal experience begins to say, now, hang on a minute, this doesn't make sense. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, it, it, it doesn't. And, 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 and therefore, it is beholden on our government to, to make clear what the response is going to be. You know, they simply cannot keep running away from this issue and in the same or maybe maybe they are maybe their attempt to run away from the issue has been cop 26 or whatever or the the um the, you know the the debacle in the house of commons over the owen patterson issue or whatever maybe it's all smoke screening but they will not be able to run away from this forever you know no. it is, it i is think clear that people be- are annoyed there's going to be an awful lot of people in an awful lot of trouble about this vaccine. And I'm afraid, you know, all the professionals who've been in a position to speak up about it and take action, you know, they've had enough time now. Yeah. They are going to face consequences. And, you know, I'm getting to the point now where I'm looking forward to seeing that because it's just awful. That testimony that you're speaking of, um, Senator Johnson, Dell Bigtree on the High Wire has just put a podcast today, the 5th of November, mm-hmm. and it's extremely moving listening mm-hmm. to these people's injuries. But also he interviewed um, a lady who was part of the trials, and she had an adverse reaction to her first vaccine in the trial, and then was removed from the trial. And I, this is another, there's all this news this week about Pfizer, because the BMJ put an article about Pfizer committing fraud in their trials. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's seeming like all of these trials by every company who have been involved in it have been conducted fraudulently. So this lady was um, affected by her first vaccine, so she wasn't allowed to have her second. They just removed her from the trial. Mm-hmm. So her reaction yeah. doesn't get logged. And she's permanently paralysed. Goodness, goodness, yeah. I mean, she's incontinent. She's, like, her whole life has been destroyed and she's got two young kids. And, you know, she volunteered very happily to go into this trial and they just completely screwed it over. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, it's... it's and Del Bigtree has been doing such a fabulous job, you know, and, and yeah. the, the guy has... You know, he sh- he shows what what is possible if and I'm, you know, this there's no reason why uh, anybody shouldn't go out and do this. It, it, he shows what's possible when you go out and research a subject, when you go out and and find available evidence and mm-hmm. present it, and he presents it so coherently yeah. and so brilliantly, and and uh, you know, it is un- unarguable. And you know, of course, he has been deplatformed, but. You know, the fact is that ultimately we will always find a means uh, of, um, <clears throat> sorry, my phone is ringing, my apologies. Okay. <laughs> we'll always find a means of getting getting the, the argument out. I think that's one of the great things about technology 
and, and free thinkers that they will always make available uh, platforms for communication that will allow those types of arguments to get out. And, and you know, people like that who have been damaged by these, these vaccines, their stories will get out. And the, the Senate uh, committee that I referred to earlier is, did a brilliant job in terms of giving them a voice. Yeah. Um, it, and also, it's just word of mouth, isn't it? You know, people, you know, people that are now saying, oh, I had this old, and I won't be getting a booster. So you cannot stop that information no. being spread no, between you people. Facebook can't do anything about interpersonal conversations. Yes, and I think I, I think if you compare the that type of of content, if we could, if we could um, refer to it as uh, uh, as unemotionally as that, you know, the, the the type this type of information that is get, getting out about about vaccine damage or or individual testimony, etc., and compare that to what the government is spewing out and the, and uh, and media is spewing out as well. You know, it's it's very, very clear and very obvious when people are conveying what is essentially paid advertorial content. And that is essentially what our mainstream media is is, uh, is giving us these days. It is paid adver advertorial content. And, yeah. you know, I, I had a, a gripe with my local ITV franchise. I've been asking them repeatedly on um, on Twitter to confirm whether or not they have been commissioned and paid to put out certain uh, packages on the news programming and I haven't got an answer. Now, before March 2020, if I had have accused a local ITV franchise of having been paid to put out uh, promotional advertorial by the government and they didn't answer, that, that simply wouldn't have happened. They would have been aghast at the whole idea uh, they would have probably taken some type of legal action against me, <laughs> you know. But nowadays, we let we genuinely really question whether indeed uh, these organisations are spouting paid propaganda. By, but, by I mean, we know the answer to that, don't we? We do, but it'd be yeah. nice to uh, be nice to have them confirm it. I think well, some I mean, of them, ha I think some of them have, and some of them will certainly be forced to but the fact that we have regulators sitting in the sidelines yeah. such as Ofcom uh, and such as the Advertising Standards Association sitting in the sidelines saying absolutely nothing about this and, and leaving, up, leaving it to people like us, individual mm -hmm. citizens is disgraceful you know, know what has happened to our democracy, what has happened to our, um, our, our, the organisations that are supposed to protect uh, consumer, uh, consumer rights and human rights what has happened to the lawyers and the economists? Yeah. What are they saying? What has happened to well, our they've all been parliamentarians? Captured. They've been captured by propaganda, haven't they? Absolutely. Um, and I, look, I've said that a few times recently in my informed Scotland. Uh, I shouldn't be doing this. this these are mm. the government statistics readily available. They're just on the government website, right? I literally go to the website. I open up the spreadsheets that are on the government website and I plot the data and they tell a completely different story to what people are hearing on the BBC. Absolutely. Why are the BBC not looking at these data and presenting them honestly? I'm nothing. I've got, I'm not a journalist. I'm not a data analyst. I'm not a doctor. And, and worse than that, when you contact the media to say, 
I have this information. They're not interested. Yeah, they completely ignore me. They tell you, oh, we can't say that. Uh-huh. Yeah. But like I'm in touch with a journalist right now who shall remain nameless. Who's like, who says, well, I, I can't report vaccine adverse events unless a doctor gets in touch and tells me that these are happening. I'm like, are you joking me? You're like an investigative journalist at a major British newspaper with all the behind you and, and you, you're telling me you can't investigate this and hold the government to account, which is partly what the press should be doing. Just like... Anyway, Jeff, in this environment, <laughs> vaccine passports don't seem like a good idea, do they? <laughs> well, absolutely not. I, they, they all, and they all emanate from the same place. You know, this is just another another development of, of mandating, you know, or coercing. Um, you know, it, well, obviously, we, we had the... We had the ludicrous, like you know, locally here, our, our health department, probably, probably the uh, health department in in Scotland was doing similar things, you know. But children were being, our teenagers were being bribed to go and get their their vaccines with the offer of an ice cream, and, you know, <laughs> you know. Yeah. So, the, so the that that those tactics didn't work, you know. Uh, and so then they they come up with this brilliant idea that they should coerce through. Um, vaccine passports no, it, is been... quite, it is quite a descent isn't it here have a vaccine and we'll give you an ice cream no? yeah oh well if, um, okay well if you're not going to take this vaccine what we're going to do is we're going to remove all your rights to participate in society as a full citizen and Indeed. if that doesn't work i'm now going to report that people of your age are definitely dying of covid yeah rampant yeah. of fear yeah Absolutely, and and we, uh, um, I run a, a website called the New Era, which is um, lots of essays and discussions about um, uh, about about this situation that we're in. And um, we did a video um, recently, which really compared how, in history, you know, other societies have used this idea of identifying a subgroup in society or a cohort in society or a, an ethnic group in society and saying that this group uh, is to be mistrusted uh, or separated. And it could be on the basis of skin color. It could be in the basis of sexual identity or, or whatever. But clearly, if you, if you identify a group of, in society and encourage, actively encourage society to ostracize this subgroup you know that is clearly apartheid and, and clearly it's it's a route to civil unrest uh, the removal of rights um, and and the distortion of society in a way that we simply do not want we have never wanted that we have never in the, this united kingdom ever wanted to identify a group in society and cast them outside and that's what is happening. If we get to a situation where uh, people on the basis of their individual uh, rights to self-determination and rights to bodily autonomy say, I do not want to take this experimental vaccine and thereby I am quite willing to, uh, pay, you know, to suffer the consequences. But if the consequences are that I'm not going to participate in society, that I won't have a livelihood then you really have to question the basis upon which the government is acting. And it's not certainly acting in our best interests. It's clearly acting um, and on, the, on the basis of 
decisions taking at, a, at some type of supranational level um, or, or indeed taken uh, in, in certain boardrooms that control uh, uh, the interests and money trails to, to government. You know? So I, I really think that vaccine passports are the absolute nub of the problem and are to be without question Objected to, objected to, opposed, undermined, um, devalued, bad pressed, whatever we have to do to make sure that these things are never implemented in this democracy. Because that, if it, that happens, that is the road to ruin. That is the road to ruin. I, would, I would add to that, even if you have decided to get vaccinated, say no to the passport. Because Absolutely. the bottom line is... If people across the board say no to the passport and aren't going to things that require the passport, the law will change because fundamentally the economy will need people to attend events. And so they won't they won't hold store by it if people all say no. Absolutely. And, and of course, they could change the rules. You know, it's the other point that's made in, in our little video, you know, that. You know, this is the case in, in Israel, for example. How many boosters are they on now? I think people are getting their fourth jabs. You know, so suddenly people who have only had two or three jabs become the underclass, the unvaccinated. You yeah. know, so where is this going to go to? What type of jabs will they require us to have? And of course, if if we have vaccine passports, they can start hanging all sorts of other mm -hmm. policies on the back. They can say, well, if you don't behave, if you don't conform. We will, uh, we will, we will, um, in some ways, penalise you. We will remove your right, other rights. We will, for example, yes. maybe, maybe not give you access to your money or your bank account, or, or, or perhaps we will tax you to a higher level. And that's already happening, of course, because in order to travel, if you're unvaccinated, you have to pay through the nose for testing, and you have to isolate on return. You know, if you if you abide by the rules, you have to isolate, and therefore forgo income potentially if you if you work outside the home so it's it's already happening and uh but if we if we implement domestic passports and i know that in scotland you are to a degree and, and wales have indicated the intention to i'm hoping fingers crossed that in northern ireland we won't go down that route in England, it's been all over the place. One minute, yeah. they're, one minute they're not one minute they're but i think they're, what's happening U-turn next day yeah. reneging that they, they're definitely, the government in the UK desperately wants to implement them, but they just feel like they don't dare, I think. Um, but, like, just to go back to what you said there about um, other things being hung on these passports, I believe that anybody who doesn't believe that that is going to happen is, frankly, living in cloud cuckoo land. Because these vaccines, the government knows very well these vaccines don't work. They've known that since January, because I told them in January. <laughs> um, <laughs> like, they know they don't work. These passports have got absolutely sod all to do with the virus or the vaccine. They're for something else. And actually, even if the vaccine does collapse, hopefully it's going to be under the weight of its own horror, like horrific failures. It, all the infrastructure is now set up. You know, yeah. 
and and it and what it is about is about punishing people for being disobedient absolutely the idea that it's not going to morph into something else where you get punished for not conforming is absurd that's already what it is it's a punishment for not conforming Absolutely. And, and you know, the, you made the point earlier that it's not just about people who have been vaccinated. You know, I, I don't want to give the impression that, uh, uh, you know, it, it, people who ha- have been vaccinated aren't seeing this, you know, because I think many of them are. Um, Alan, Alan Miller, who's been involved in the Together campaign. Um, and, you know, I was one of the, the first of the 200 signatories of the Together campaign when it, when it was launched. And so I'm in regular contact with Alan. But, you know, he's made clear. Um, and by the way, he has an issue with people having to divulge their vaccination status because that's pretty much doing the same thing. You know, if you, if you voluntarily tell people your vaccination status, you're kind of playing along to this idea that, um, that, that we fall into these, these subgroups that the government has defined. But, but Alan has made clear that he has been vaccinated, but he still opposes this policy, you know, uh, and obviously has, has been the, the figurehead of the, the Together campaign and the Together declaration. So I, I don't think this is just about people who have resisted vaccination. This is about people recognising that this is a step too far. The same people probably who objected when Tony Blair was in power to, um, uh, you know, identify the technology that we had back then was, uh, you know, frankly, not, not as developed as it is today with, the, with pervasive use of smartphones and uh, the ability for the government to monitor using artificial intelligence and biometric identity, et cetera. The, the opportunity for the government meddling in every aspect of our lives is unparalleled. You know, it certainly wasn't possible when Blair was in power. But now they have been given an opportunity, a Trojan horse opportunity, to drive home these draconian uh, surveillance uh, uh, techniques to tell us how we're going to live our lives. And that really, frankly, is a step too far. And I think people will genuinely take the position that they will do absolutely everything that they can to resist this, because there is that strand of, of, of libertarianism that runs through the backbone of this nation of nations. And I, I really don't think people will tolerate it. Well, I used to think that, but Scotland surprised me in the last 20 months. <laughs> I, th- <laughs> I do sometimes wonder where the population that, you know, objected to national identity cards have gone. Mm. But I think maybe it's just that a lot of them haven't woken up to the fact that this is an identity card by a back door. And my worry is that by the time they wake up to the fact, it's too late. You know, that's that's my worry. Yeah. Well, of course, and it's not a card, of course. Taking advantage of a technology that has seen such widespread adoption. You know, I think, you know, it, it, it was obvious that Facebook, for example, was up to lots of, of naughty business and, taking advantage of personal data in order to provide opportunities for marketers to, to personalize advertising and so on. And I think when this became obvious, it, it, it was equally obvious that young people who were using the platform in those days didn't really care. They were quite willing to pay the price of having their, their privacy um, you know, disregarded. Um, 
in order to get the advantage of being able to talk to their mates or uh, have video conference calls or whatever it is that they, they do in the platform. Now, of course, they've defected uh, and they've gone on to whatever is current. Uh, uh, but the fact is that they, they seem to be much happier about the idea of everybody knowing their, their business. And they, they've become much more acquiescent and malleable and in a way that perhaps we uh, couldn't ever have countenanced. So I think society has moved on and I think young people in particular need to be made aware of, of the consequences of this and the impact that it's going to have on their personal freedom. So uh, you know, the, the digitization of society, the digital by default mentality of our government has gone much, much too far. And I say that as somebody who has, to some extent, created the beast. You know, for the last, you know, pretty much my, my entire career has been spent working for or within technology companies. And, and you know, I, I'm running a debate on the, the 25th of November about this very issue of digital identity. And, and I have two technologists um, arguing the merits of, uh, of digital ID. Uh, against um, uh, Francis Hoare, the human rights lawyer, uh, who's been uh, fabulous, really, in terms of, of bringing uh, a number of court actions and seeking a number of judicial reviews. Uh, and Bob Moran, the, the cartoonist from The Telegraph, who was essentially deplatformed from The Telegraph for expressing his views mm -hmm. too vehemently for, the, for a mainstream media organ. I think, you know, one of the things that occurs to me about the fact that everybody is online and they're sharing information, there's an addictive element to these platforms. And therefore, it's almost like young people in particular, it's like they're drug. So they're kind of willing to accept the bad because they need it, you know? Mm. Yeah, there's. A, I think too built into the, the uh, and I know that we have many uh, people within our campaign, if we could call it that, you know, the, uh, the the various groups. We have a number of psychologists that know full well what techniques the government is using to manipulate people, and particularly young people. You're right. I think a lot of these platforms use very basic gamification techniques and reward uh, techniques to build stickiness. Uh, you know, my my own daughter, for example, has said she thinks she's probably addicted to TikTok. You know, you, once you get into these things, you're constantly be get, being given little rewards. Your your serotonin levels are through the roof. You know, you you and I, and I'm I'm guilty of it. You know, I'm probably addicted to Twitter. You know, my reward is to, you know, get 500 views on a post, which means that I've proven my point as far as I'm concerned, or influenced a few people. But so therefore, you get hung up on the on the platforms. You get addicted to them. And, and I think for young people, they may think, well, given the fact that I get all of this uh, benefit or, or utility from these platforms, what could possibly be wrong? Why would, why would I not want to continue this? Why should I um, sacrifice this? And, and if the government is saying that it's okay for me to show a QR code to get into a nightclub and therefore I have to get my, pass, my vaccine in order to get that, maybe it's all right. Maybe there's nothing to be fearful of. So I think they're using, uh, I don't think they're, I don't, honestly don't think that they have thought it through to a huge degree of detail. There is some, there, there's a strand of strategy, I think, which probably goes right back to the financial crisis, crisis in 2008, 
uh, I think there's probably a financial dimension to all of this, and the and we could talk about that separately. You know how money is playing here, but as far as the uh, vaccine passports and the use of digital platforms is concerned, I think the model is pretty well proven, and young people are like lambs to the slaughter. Well, just to put a more hopeful slant on this. I had some intelligence from a friend that locally, her son, who's of the age where he goes to nightclubs, was out at the weekend. He is unvaccinated and he feels like he's the only person in town who's not vaccinated. Anyway, it was word went around that there was a nightclub that wasn't, was deliberately not asking for vaccine passports. And that was great, except the penalty for going there was that you had to wait in an absolutely enormous queue because there were so many people going to that nightclub. Mm -hmm. So I do think, I actually do wonder if maybe this is inspiring a bit of change in young people because young people have been so unaffected by COVID. Mm. They're not dying of COVID, basically, ever. And their lives have been held hostage. They're now being coerced to take a vaccine which can only harm them and not benefit them. And I think a lot of them actually do know this. And maybe we're going to be generating a bit more scepticism in this group. I think actually, to be honest, the plague in our society is, well, maybe people of our own age. Sylvia's mm. my age, the middle class, what are we, Gen Z or something? Yes. Whatever we that are. In between generations. Like our generation, I just found immensely disappointing. It's like, come on, guys, grow up. Well, it's funny because I I met a friend recently at the community centre and um, they had been travelling and they were talking about having been on the continent, that the continent, people just didn't care. It was like normal and that they were turning down um, in Poland, they were turning down the vaccine. Mm -hmm. And um, he said, you know, it's, it's so different. And I said, oh, yes, we just have to get on with things. And he said, oh, you know, I can't talk about this in public. And I, I kind of said, well, why not? He said, well, you don't know what other people's political views are. And I said, well, it doesn't sound like your political views are that different to my political views. And he said, yes, but you don't know who else is listening. And I thought, well, hang on a minute. Why, why do people who don't agree with the mainstream narrative feel like they have to shut up in public that's not democracy we we need to be open about our views yeah yeah absolutely and, and, and that's and why because we're not that's why when somebody says something that's against the mainstream everybody like it's like oh my goodness that person must have gone mad you know they've lost their minds saying yeah. all this crazy stuff because it, this false impression is created or it's not a false impression it's the impression but it's false that this, like everybody agrees that this is the right thing to do, and actually it's not true at all. I yeah, actually I, I, think probably the number of people that are totally for it and totally believing in it are in the minority. Oh, definitely, a quite a small minority as well. I think though that uh, there's there's a genuine concern on the part of of certain people that they don't want to be too. Uh, vocal in their in their position you know going against the government narrative because it might say injure their livelihood in some way you know i i had this during the um lockdown uh, when i was 
working with, I say working with, I was having conversations with quite a few people and quite a few um, business people who ran hospitality organizations. And th their view was very similar to mine, that this was a step too far. It was draconian. We should never have locked down in the first place, that the economic consequences were huge. But of course, when it came to the point, and I was trying to encourage you know, the equivalent of a class action against against the government. And and their view was, well, no, we can't really do that, you know, because, well, one, we might lose furlough. We might, you know, our, or we may not get our license renewed or our licenses might be revoked in the future. So therefore, we have to kind of keep in with government. And there's a sort of loss of livelihood aspect to it. And, and of course, so many people are employed either directly by the government or by organizations that are dependent on government contracts that they don't want to rock the boat. So the thing that is, that is I think the, the thing that I've noticed in the last 20 months is that many of the people who have been most forceful in their views, one, are brave enough not to care about those things and or, or rich enough or are maybe close to, to retirement age where they can say pretty much whatever they, they want without any economic sanction um, but also uh, I have to say Christine and Sylvia this has been particularly noteworthy that women have been very very effective and forceful uh, in conveying their opinion and, and kicking against this government government narrative primarily because they are uh, primarily concerned about children and uh, and the effect on children so I think this has been uh, a cathartic moment, really, because we're depending on some very, very brave and outspoken women to defend human rights here. And uh, I've been let down by many, many so-called captains of industry who have said absolutely nothing. Yeah. Um, well, go the girls. Go the girls. <laughs> But then I've, and I've said this before, that I think this is just another example, or maybe it's a symptom of imbalance in our society, and I don't think it's good. I would like to hear more men saying something. And um, But you've just said that at your debate on the 25th of November, which is in London, I think mm -hmm. tickets, you, we can get tickets, can't we? Or was it Eventbrite? Yes, the... Uh... Yeah, there's an event bright, bright link which I can send to you. Hopefully, you can sort of associate it with this I can, uh, podcast. I can put it on the show notes. <laughs> uh, yeah. So we, as I, as I mentioned, we've got uh, Bob Moran and Francis Hoare arguing in favour of the motion. And the motion is essentially saying that we think that digital IDs and the attempt by the government to, you know, mon monitor and control all of our lives through, through the use of a digital identity, and of course that that would be what these vaccine passports are. So I think vaccine passports would morph into uh, mm. the idea of digital identity. But in addition to that, we're also going to be touching on the, the concept of, of so-called CBDCs, central bank digital currencies, because yeah. I think uh, one of the really interesting things about Boris Johnson's speech at the opening of the COP26 conference was that he was going to attack a whole series of things that he thought were potentially damaging to uh, to the to the uh, the climate and, oh, and the environment, and one that of was those an amazing things, tweet. <laughs> yeah, one of those things was cash. You know, so quite quite. I think a lot of people were thinking, quite high is 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 cash damaging to the environment, or to or we don't we don't tend to do what we do with or what some people do with masks, 
and chuck them absolutely everywhere. You know, we we tend to keep keep our cash and pay attention to what cash we have on our wallets. We don't. The funny thing, I can't remember exactly what the wording of that tweet by our esteemed prime minister was, but there was like a list of things which made sense, wasn't there? Like, yeah, and like, just, make, I completely basically reject all of the arguments that the government's using about their climate change measures anyway. But there was, you know, they were consistent with the theme. So it was like we're going to reduce, I don't know, Car cars emissions, and yeah, and yeah. All these, there was like a list of like seven things that he said that were completely congruous with the normal narrative on climate change, and cash was just slipped in in the middle. Yeah, yeah, just slip like, it. Let's, let's see if we slip in cash here. If anybody will notice. <laughs> <laughs> but it's like it was so it was notable because it was so out of place and this is again it, they always tell you what they're doing and just the presence of the word cash in that tweet tells you this is not absolutely sod all to do with the climate mm. it's control how it benefit how they could argue it will benefit the climate is if they can turn our cash off they can stop us moving around and of course, Absolutely. Human, human activity is incredibly dangerous to the world and we must stop it. So the only way that they can do that is by controlling our cash. Yeah, there was a, there was a brilliant internet meme going around when, they, when the, um, they first suggested, you know, that they might introduce vaccine passports. And it was, uh, this, is the, this is the best form of vaccine passport to ensure you get into a nightclub. And it was a, obviously a photograph of a 50 pound note. <laughs> uh, so you know if, if they eradicate uh, cash we can't even bribe the bouncers that effectively unless they've got a card reader and you know if people actually look into the carbon footprint of the internet and digitization it's not small no you know it's there are clear green arguments as to why digitization is not no it's terrible i mean these servers in california You've seen these warehouses with the service for an internet. Apparently, you can sort of feel the heat emanating from these buildings five miles away. <laughs> Absolutely. So, and they, they use the argument against, uh, you know, Bitcoin and cryptocurrency that it costs. Oh, look how much money it costs to do uh, crypto mining. Uh, you know, it, it, it takes considerably less money or, and, and, and has much less uh, of an effect on the environment than mining for gold. Um, and, and of course, the yield in terms of crypto mining is very similar. In fact, it was set, it was established as being similar to the, to the mining uh, output or the percentage increase in the overall gold stock per annum. You know, so if you compare uh, the, the economic or sorry, the environmental cost of mining for gold or indeed mining for lithium oh, yeah. or rare earth elements, often using child labor in Africa and uh, you know, other less developed nations um, to the to the cost of uh, of crypto mining, and I think this is, this actually goes back to what I was saying earlier. I think if we do if we do follow the money trail, um, you know, the the whole concept, the the cryptocurrency movement started pretty much after the financial crash in two thousand and seven, two thousand and eight, uh, and it was a reaction against the fact that the central banks were debasing money. They and in fact, that ha that process of de debasement has gone on since 2008. You know, the uh, the banks have bailed out everything. Their balance, mm -hmm. the central banks now have balance sheets the like of which we have never seen. They're underwriting pretty much 
all of the major corporates. They're buying up stock and bonds all over the place and assets and, and, uh, and using helicopter money to bail out banks uh, and, mm. and central banks as they did, as the European Central Bank did with, with Italy and Greece. You know, so we, we are in a situation where money has no place to go. There is no value left in fiat currencies any longer. No. And ultimately, the lid will blow off this nonsense. You know, we have, and therefore, where where do people go? What what asset has any value any longer? And it would appear, certainly based on the current uh, pricing of of Bitcoin, that cryptocurrency is going to be the alternative to essentially what are debased and and valueless fiat currencies. So I think that that is, is aligned to the whole concept of of control and coercion that the government owns us and tells us where we can go, owns us and tells us how we uh, should earn a living, whether indeed we're permitted to earn a living uh, on the basis of our vaccination status. And therefore, it's very easy for them to integrate central bank digital currency into these uh, these digital identities. So I think mm-hmm. another aspect of the conversation that we're going to be having on, on, thir- on Thursday, the 25th of November at the debate is to what extent digital IDs will pretty much control all of our lives, including our uh, access to money. Yeah. And will this event be able to be viewed on online or is it a purely attendance? Thing? No, we're, we're, everybody will be able to see it absolutely free of charge um, after. We're not going to stream it because we want, we, you know, to some extent, I, I wanted to ensure that we ran an event where people sat in a room with other people and, and eyeballed the speakers. Yeah. You know, I, we've had far- A real life uh, event, you mean? A real, a real live event. So we're, we're, we're having a real live event in a, in a theater with, with speakers there. Uh, and, and then we're, we, we do have a camera, we have a volunteer a camera crew there who's going to be filming it and we'll put it out hopefully at a specific date afterwards uh, so that people can get a sense of event when we ultimately live stream it. So everybody will be able to see it uh, live on a platform to be determined. So uh, coming soon. But yes, we're going to be videoing it all. Okay. And can I hazard a guess that vaccine passports won't be required for entry? (laughs) Vaccine passports will not be required for entry and if people want to wear masks or not wear them it's entirely their own choice i have are you one of those types that thinks that people should be able to choose what they wear on their faces themselves (laughs) (laughs) um but although i take a harder like i've got like a i don't allow people to wear masks in my presence (laughs) (laughs) um Right, and who's speaking? Who's debating on the other side? Because you've got so the on the other side, yeah. So we we have we have Bob and Francis, as I mentioned, uh, in favour of the motion. On the other side of the debate, we've got David Birch, who is an advocate. He runs a consultancy organisation advising government and corporates on digital ID. So he mm-hmm. he uh, uh, is a, a a big advocate. Believes that there's a significant upside to digital ID. Um, you know, for example, reduction in fraud. And, and and by the way, I should say, too, that on the subject of digital ID, there is an argument, and, and it comes from actually the crypto movement that says that if we have the right type of digital ID, it could be a move in the right direction. Yeah, in- I, I think that's the thing, isn't it? It's almost inevitable mm. that we're going to end up with something like this. And I think, you know, we're not going to be able to fight digitalization of 
payment for things. We're just not going to be, but it needs to be right. And it, exactly, yeah. And in this environment, it's just so hard to trust that the government's going to do anything in our interest since they've like completely demolished our interests in the last twenty months. I th yeah, I, I think you're you're absolutely right, and and I think d d not just well. David's view is that there there are upsides, for example, reducing fraud and the use of digital ID for financial markets and so on, and taking advantage of some of the facilities and the devices. The question is whether there should be a centralized database for this, and whether we should be required to divulge highly personal information. For example, whether yeah. we've participated in a, in a trial vaccine. Yeah, uh, uh, program rollout, you know, so that that's another issue. So I think it could be nuanced. Um, and mm -hmm. uh, I know David is a very, very effective debater. So uh, Francis and Bob are going to be up against well, I was going to be, I would say he's up against it as well because Francis Hoare and uh, Bob Moran are two gentlemen of fierce intellect. Absolutely. I would like to try and debate either of them on <laughs> And the, the other... The other Fortunately, debate... I'm on the same side as <laughs> things at the moment. Uh, just, just so that I do, uh, make sure that I don't not mention them, uh, is uh, Bill McCluggage, who is the former Deputy Chief Information Officer at the Cabinet Office. So oh, yeah. he... Uh, and he was also the Chief Information Officer for the Office of the Taoiseach in Ireland as well. Uh, so he's uh, arguing, again, from the point of view that it's very much in the government's interests and in citizens' interests to uh, to have digital IDs because it's, well, okay. I'm, I'm going to leave him to articulate it. I, I don't want to do it for him. Well, that's lovely, Jeff. I um, need to go and pick up children from school now, so I have to. <laughs> um, but I've not picked them up. They come home, but they're going to be coming home to a locked front door shortly. Well, listen, it's, it it's been, been fabulous to talk to you both and, uh, and, and, and just want to say incredibly well done. I, I, I know the amazing work that you've been doing and some of the uh, podcasts that you put out. So I, 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 I'm not up to speed in all of them. I intend to listen fair enough, Jeff. to them all as, as, <laughs> as soon as I possibly can. Well, some of them are quite long, but yeah. worth it. Worth yes. it. And we sometimes, <laughs> yeah, but... We've had some great podcasts um, and it's been lovely to chat to you. Thank you so much. For You're very welcome. Thank you, both of you. And, and uh, well, regards to, to your kids and uh, have, a, have a great rest of afternoon. Okay, Thank well, you. have a great weekend and we wish you all the best with your event. Yeah. Thank you very so, much great. indeed. I'll definitely watch it. Me too. Excellent. Thank you both. Okay. okay. Thank you, Jay. Take care. Bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. There you have it, folks. The concept of vaccine passports sucks. Let's do our best to fight it. Lots of love to you all.